his opponent wore jeans and big timberlands that made his already looming height even taller. The opponent crossed the grass verge, and the raggedy man could see the close-shaved sides of his head, the soft, blondish-red goatee, the piercing blue eyes, the face of a character actor from the 1950s, the big, good-natured sunshine smile of the simple everyman, beaming and determined to do the right thing all at once, no matter what. The raggedy man shook his head slightly and smirked. The big man approached, standing over the stone table. The opponent studied the board for a moment, his blue eyes noting all the pieces, and then, in the smoothest of motions, slid onto the stone bench and placed his large feet and massive legs under the table. The raggedy man held out both hands, just above the chess pieces, fluttering his fingers like a child greedy for chocolate, a prodigy at the piano, like Liszt must have done to have played that instrument so damned well. The opponent looked up and nodded once at the raggedy man. I suppose you want black. The raggedy man rolled his eyes. I'm always black. The big man, the opponent, frowned good-naturedly and shrugged slightly, really only to himself, but because his features were so large, the motions were telegraphed to everyone nearby and anyone watching afar. May I move first? asked the raggedy man. It's why I'm here, said the opponent, not lifting his eyes from the board. The raggedy man placed a dirty thumb and forefinger on the piece he intended to move. It was a pawn. All the pawns were different, as though each was from a different set, or a different world. He took the gray-green dead-eyed pawn between his thumb and forefinger and moved it into play. In the distance, the doomsday horn down at San Onofre nuclear power plant began to wind up into its end-of-the-world wail. Chapter One He'd known all that day he was going to drink again that night. Holiday saw it coming from a long way off, like an afternoon storm or a strange town out in the middle of nowhere, off on the horizon, coming at you along the interstate as you speed toward it. Inevitable. But when things end, reasoned Holiday, there's nothing left but to get real drunk. Some pot clattered to the floor of the coffee house, ringing and dinging, hollow and empty, like the sound of some bell greater than itself, struck once and now slowly fading. He finished the rest of his shift on autopilot, barely there. The steam from the espresso machine washed over him, leaving him with a feeling that he could just disappear inside all of it, as if that brief cloud was a moment between worlds a place he could just hide out in for a while and be someone else. But there was a line of order tickets 36 mochas deep, 36 mochas real. Are you listening to me? asked Stephen, his boss, the manager of Ground Zero. This is what I need. And then he said a bunch of other stuff. Holiday couldn't think. I don't want to think was what he told himself heard himself say to no one inside his head. Because to think was to think about her. And she was gone now, had been gone for two weeks. Gone for good, 
That's what she said on the phone that morning, two weeks ago. He'd gone to an acting class at the community college. He'd called her. She'd sounded tired, out late the night before. When he asked why, why she was tired, she just sighed and said, It's over, Holiday. And he'd known then. Known he'd drink too much. He finished his shift in steam, and late afternoon, last of summer, golden, almost orange sunlight, surrounded by the heavy aroma of brewing coffee. As Gordon Lightfoot, the coffeehouse guitarist, they'd, she and he, had named such, strummed his guitar. She and him, when they were together, her and he, their lover's secret joke. As Gordon Lightfoot started to play on that last Saturday afternoon of August,